This is Bridging the Gap with Love, Episode 11, Coping with Male Infertility. I'm Heidi Brower, a birth mom. And I'm Jessica Johns, an adoptive mom. And this is a podcast about our own stories and experiences with adoption, while hoping to provide education and support for birth moms, potential birth moms, and anyone with a connection to adoption. All right, welcome to today's episode. We are so excited for our special guest today. This is our first guest of our podcast. And our guest today is Jared Johns. He is the husband of the amazing Jessica Johns. Um, And so we're going to hear from him. And Jared, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Heidi. I'm honored to be here as the first guest. And uh, like you said, I am the husband to the amazing Jessica Johns, co-host of the greatest podcast (laughs) of all time. Um, But yeah, I am an adoptive father. As you guys know, you've probably heard a lot about, um, you know, my kids with Jessica. I, let's see, a little bit about myself. I myself come from a large family. I'm number nine of 11. No adoptive kids in there. So those were all, uh, you know, natural born kids. (laughs) And Jessica and I met at undergrad at BYU. And we got married and then started working on figuring out how we were going to start our family. So I guess that's kind of what brings us together now is kind of talking about that from my point of view. Awesome. Well, we are excited for you to be here. So um, I guess we're just going to start with some questions and then you can answer how you want and we'll go from there. So my first question is, is how long after you and Jessica were trying to have babies, did you kind of know that something was off or wrong or you know, how did that whole process start? Yeah, we probably, I don't know, I guess it's kind of a gradual realization that things aren't working out. And as we started looking into what infertility meant, then we kind of heard somewhere, we're not sure where, that once it's been about a year, then that seems a little more indicative of infertility and not just difficulty conceiving. And so that was kind of once it started getting to around a year, we started looking into what infertility was and what the options were going forward from there. Okay. So once you started going to see a doctor, what was the process like with that whole thing, if you're comfortable with sharing? Yeah. So I think more commonly than not, infertility is typically seen as the, as an issue on the mother's side, that there's some type of Uh, female factor of infertility. And so I think when we started to go to a doctor about infertility, I think things primarily started focusing on Jessica and how that was leading to our infertility. I think, Jessica, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So I don't know what doctor a man would go to having infertility issues. So what you do as a couple is the woman reaches out to her OBGYN. And that's how we first started looking into our infertility issues. And I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I was diagnosed with endometriosis. And so we kind of started going down that avenue for a while to see if the endometriosis was preventing us from conceiving. So they did a, um, a fallopian tube check, basically, where they 
put dye through my fallopian tubes to see if they were clear, if I'd be able to conceive and um, carry a child. And when that test came back um, and looked good, at that point, it had been at least 12 to 14 months since we had started trying to have a baby. And so our OBGYN, and I'm so grateful for this, she recommended that we also get Jared tested. And so she kind of facilitated that process through a fertility clinic you know, in Utah County. And that was quite a fun test, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think we need to go into the specifics of the test, but I got tested. And, you know, ultimately, we found out that uh, that I was the contributing factor of infertility for us that we, you know, there didn't seem to be anything wrong with Jessica, but it was very clear that I was the infertile one. So is there uh, two questions? Is there a name for that? And then how did you feel when you first got the news? Yeah, there is a name for it. It's azospermia. So that's basically the complete inability to produce sperm. So it's, uh, you know, the official diagnostic test. And, you know, I even had a biopsy performed that confirmed zero sperm, zero ability to, uh, to uh, conceive due to me. So is that genetic or is what like are other males in your family able to have children? Other males in my family have all been able to have children. So, uh, well, I do have a brother who has Down syndrome, so he's he's not married and everything. But, you know, so besides him, uh, all of my other siblings have natural born kids. And so I definitely didn't inherit that. But I think that's kind of a interesting thought anyway that infertility being something hereditary but there are a lot of genetic conditions that can cause male infertility so as far as i know i I haven't undergone any genetic testing but as far as i know i don't have any of these different type of genetic syndromes that lead to male infertility oh and then your second question yeah as far as how i dealt with the news um it was it was kind of relieving for some reasons and then difficult for others relieving in the fact that now we had a pretty clear answer that you know it wasn't going to be this difficult long sorted course of fertility treatments and everything like that that it was a pretty definitive closure to whether or not we were going to be able to have our own kids. So that aspect of it. But then it was also a little difficult because then with that final diagnosis, you know, then there's the realization that we're not going to be able to conceive any of our own kids. And a difficult part of that was seeing how it was challenging for Jessica and everything that she was going through because she and I process things very differently. And I think that's pretty natural too the way a mother and woman grapples with infertility and the way that a man would grapple with it and come to terms with it. So I think that for me, it wasn't so emotionally troubling as it was kind of recognizing how to not move forward with one part and then move forward with another. So it it was reassuring that we weren't going to have to do a lot of testing on Jessica and have her go through a lot of treatments and that we could 
just move forward with the next step in growing our family. Yeah, I can see how there there would be mixed feelings there with both definitive answers and also trying to figure out what next steps to take. So Jessica, I'm interested to know how you felt at this time when you heard about um, Jared and what that meant for you and your family. So I think the first feeling I experienced was just complete shock. I had not considered this as a potential um, reality for us that we would have no options of of conceiving our own children you know in the infertility world which many couples are a part of most infertile couples are able to eventually have children um, through different um, treatments that are available um, different medications that you can take whether it's clomid or um, ivf there's so many options out there for infertile couples to be able to conceive with the benefits and blessings of science and medicine. And so I had just not even considered the option that we would have no way to have our own children. So this is a really unusual and unique type of infertility. Very few couples are able to really fully relate with with this type of definitiveness because so much infertility is really ambiguous and vague and there's so many unanswered questions. So for me, I just felt a lot of shock and just complete devastation, like the rug had just been pulled out from underneath me. There was a period, I would say, of at least three to four weeks where I just felt like I was mourning, mourning a loss. Um, I was I was just crying all the time. I was very, very sad. And um, Jared and I, you know, we went to the temple, we prayed, I cried a lot. I don't know if Jared cried a whole lot. And I think that was really hard for me as a wife and a hopeful mother to kind of realize that I was experiencing this news so differently than Jared was. Um, sometimes as a couple, you're thinking, okay, well, we're walking this path together. So we both received the same news. Why isn't he emotionally reacting? Why isn't he as devastated as I was? Why isn't he crying? Why doesn't he feel like, you know, his whole purpose on this earth has just been pulled away from him? And at that time, thankfully, I was in a Relief Society presidency. And granted, there were lots of other couples and women that were pregnant at the time, but there were also a few women who were also struggling with infertility. And by sharing my experience with them and opening up to them and them being able to open up to me, I realized that as women, we could really relate to each other and that we were experiencing infertility very, very similarly. And so although I couldn't always find that um, experience, you know, that shared experience with Jared, I, I had friends and really important women at the time that that felt so similarly to me and we were able to help each other through that time. And I feel like they were angels for me at that time to, to just help me heal and be comforted and realize that I wasn't alone. Yeah. And to just kind of add on to that, I, I think that, you know, for anybody else who's dealing with that, I think that's kind of important to take into consideration how the husband will deal with things differently than, than, uh, the wife will. And, it's not that the men are emotionally disconnected or anything like that. It's just parental roles are kind of different between, you know, uh, for fathers and mothers. And so I think that this is just kind of an example of how that's reflected, that, that Jessica, you were able to kind of find a lot more kind of sympathy and empathy with, 
you know, other women with infertility. Uh, whereas, you know, as a man, maybe this, I don't know, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it or anything, but, you know, I just didn't necessarily require the same emotional support that you did through this, if that makes sense. And I actually consider that a blessing of the type of infertility that we experience, because I think as a woman, it would have been very easy for me to kind of layer guilt or shame if, if, if the infertility problem had, had come from, from my body. And so that was some, you know, there were a few blessings, um, a few silver linings in the infertility that we experienced. It was very definitive. And because, you know, Jared was the one that, that had the infertility issue. Thankfully, like he did not process it with so much guilt. He wasn't, um, you know, people have often asked me, was that demasculating for Jared? Um, how did he feel about not being able to have children? And because of the way that Jared kind of rationally processed this, I, I just feel like it saved me a lot of heartache and guilt and pain um, because Jared was able to handle this in a really healthy way. Yeah, I've heard the concept of, you know, people placing guilt upon themselves or feeling shameful being the the member of the marriage that's infertile, you know, being the infertile one. And I couldn't necessarily relate to that just because so much of, well, essentially almost all of infertility is a dysfunctional biological process. And so I, I can't control this about my body and it's nothing that I can affect. It's nothing that was done to me. So I don't see any sense in placing blame or internalizing any of this because it's just a, just some dysfunctional organ that can be compared to any, anything else. It's just growing a family tends to carry a lot of emotional weight. And so I, I can understand how people can internalize it in certain ways. But for me, I just, it just kind of didn't seem productive and didn't seem like it would kind of provide any closure or emotional benefit. So I didn't necessarily feel any guilt and I certainly didn't feel like I was less of a man for this. That's been brought up a lot because I feel like, you know, the measure of a man is not really by the number of his offspring. You know, there are plenty of people, plenty of men who have a lot of children and they are less than exemplary fathers and less than exemplary men and husbands. And so I feel like there is a better metric to determine masculinity than by whether or not they're able to produce offspring. So no, I still feel like very much of a man and very guiltless. I love that. I think that is such great advice. So my question is, do you, were you in medical school at this time? And do you think if you were, do you think that it helped you process it rationally? I was not in medical school during this. This was still during under, undergrad. So I was still doing pre-med courses. In fact, I think I think when we got the phone call, I think my chemistry class was about to start. Like I think I was sitting up in the seats waiting for chemistry to start, and then I had to leave. Um, so no, I wasn't in medical school then. But I think, well, I, I know the way my brain works now is kind of, somewhat algorithmically. So if this, then that. And so if, if this is the case, then you move on to the next step. And 
back then, I don't know if I necessarily thought that way, but I do remember that we had had, you know, spiritual experiences and promises that indicated that we were going to have a family, that we were going to have children. And so this was a roadblock for that, but I didn't see it as a definitive end to our family. It was just a definitive closure of the possibility of biological children. So I still believed in and had faith that Jessica and I were going to be able to have a family. And so it was just going to the next step, which we knew would be adoption. First of all, I just think this is such a great example of a couple being able to get through something hard and being able to rely on each other when you needed to, but then also being okay with, you know, looking towards other people for support, because I just, that's such a great example of a, of a healthy marriage to know that I'll get support where I need it, but also I need to maybe go find my women that will understand a little bit more also. So you talked about, you knew the next steps were going to be adoption. Did you know that that was the next step right away? Or was it something that you talked about and then decided that's something that we wanted to do? Kind of, you know, maybe explain that whole process of how that came to be. I don't remember if we had talked about adoption necessarily before this, just because this was still kind of early in our infertility testing. So I don't know if that was an option before we had, you know, before we we figured this out. But I know that afterwards it kind of quickly we realized we're like well the next step then is you know then we're going to adopt it kind of came really clearly and pretty simply that we were going to adopt is that how you remember it yeah i think that's something kind of interesting about adoption in general is often (laughs) adoptive couples are looked at sort of as like heroes like we're coming in to rescue these innocent babies. But for us, like adoption was our way to grow our family. It was the only way. So we thankfully had had experiences with adoption in my extended family. I've mentioned this before, but I have an aunt that was a birth mother that is a birth mother and another aunt who is an adoptive mother of seven. And so I think Jared and I had both seen those families and the ways that they interacted with their birth families and adoptive families. And we kind of had a context and a framework for adoption and open adoption. And so it wasn't foreign or unfamiliar. We we felt very comfortable with adoption. And for us, it was the only next step. And it really felt like Heavenly Father, um, some people, you know, we talked about um, like this being our plan B, like adoption being our plan B, but really the way our infertility worked and how that door was completely closed for us, we really just felt this peace and assurance that this was always the plan for our family. This was always going to be the way that we were going to grow our family was through adoption. And so we felt that spiritual reassurance and also just that um, comfort and um, because we had we had experienced open adoptions in in my extended family. Yeah, that's great. So my next question is because we have heard in episode three Jessica's story, which is beautiful, by the way. If you've not listened to it, you need to go listen to it. So we were able to hear her side of that. I would actually love to hear from you, Jared, how you felt when you knew that you were going to have a baby and then it ended up that you were going to have twins and they were girls, like just kind of, I, I just always love to know, like, what 
are the fathers thinking? And like, what, how does that, you know, how do your feelings come about when you find that out? And then also being a father to those little girls and then knowing that you were also going to be a father to a little boy. Well, at that time, when we found out that we were going to adopt and once we found out about the girls, we were in medical school. So we had just started or were about to start, I think. And so I remember thinking that that was, you know, pretty overwhelming because we just started started school and then, uh, you know, then we were going to be getting these twins. So I remember that was that was pretty overwhelming, but ultimately exciting because we had been getting ready to adopt. And, you know, like Jessica had said I, I, in that episode that we had kind of gone through this period where we felt like it wasn't time. And so once we felt like we were ready, then, you know, our minds were already prepared and our hearts were already prepared to adopt. So I just remember being really excited, um, just kind of ready to accept it as as a difficult challenge, but this is what we wanted. We were wanting a family and so we were ready to start it. So twin girls, I think I was, I think I was excited. I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't necessarily have any expectations just because when you're waiting to adopt, you know, you have to temper your expectations anyway. So I wasn't, you know, I want a boy. It's kind of like, Hey, we'll just take whatever we get. So I was, I wasn't necessarily expecting anything at that time, but uh, I was pretty excited and yeah. And I remember, I remember being there for when the girls were born, kind of waiting excitedly outside the NICU because that's where we were going to see the girls being brought in. And so they brought the little incubator by and stopped on their way into the NICU. And so we got to look in and see them. And that was, that was pretty surreal, you know, knowing that we were going to adopt them, but you know, it still hadn't been, nothing had been set in stone. So it was it was pretty special seeing them and seeing these sweet little babies, but you know it's adoption can be a roller coaster, and so there can be ups and downs, and there were you know still some challenges to be overcome, and you know there were some difficult times that that were really challenging, but ultimately once we got to go in and hold them for the first time, once we you know, knew that the adoption was going to be finalized, then that was, that was a, you know, that was a really beautiful and special moment. And, and then finding out about Bradley, um, I also was pretty excited, but at that time I thought having girls was really fun. And so I thought it'd be fun to have more girls, but Bradley's been, Bradley's been pretty fun too. So, (laughs) and the experience with Bradley was a little different because I wasn't able to be right there at the hospital initially. Um, but I, I think I came in the next day and kind of waited in another room because he was, I think he was getting his first bath or something like that. And Jessica had been telling me all about him and sending me photos of him. So I got to see him kind of that way first. And then being able to go into the room and see him and hold him that was also pretty special and it really felt the same way that that he really was our son and different than the girls but also the same because you know we really really felt like this was 
orchestrated by Heavenly Father and just to be able to grow our families with Danielle's help and with Jessica's help, um, our birth mothers, that was that was really special. So, so exciting to be father of little girls and also of this little boy and it was it was perfect the feeling that I had then didn't feel like oh these weren't our babies these weren't our children but they felt every sense like they were meant to be ours and I can't imagine feeling any differently for babies if they had been naturally born to us or whether we had adopted them so like Jessica said I feel like this was always the plan for our family and this is how Heavenly Father brought our children to us was through adoption well what you can't see are my tears so thank you for sharing that that was beautiful is there any advice that you have for men who are dealing with infertility yeah I I think primarily is to be very sensitive to how your wife is going through it, recognizing that the feelings you have are probably, well, are definitely different than what she's going through. That just because our responsibilities as a father and a mother are are typically different, that you are going to be processing it differently. So don't necessarily feel guilty or feel like there's something wrong with you for not being as emotional about it as your wife is, but using that as the opportunity to be sensitive for what your wife's going through, uh, you know, kind of being an emotional rock to help her through this. But it's this is just kind of a testimony of the fact that you are the provider and protector primarily and not necessarily the you know, the nurturer. And so your wife is probably going to be going through a lot more emotions, a lot, um, you know, a lot more sadness through this. But I think just recognizing that, that that doesn't mean that you aren't sad about what's going on, but it's just, you know, I, 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 just, I just think we go through it a little differently. And so, and for, I, I think advice for the women who have husbands or partners who are going through male infertility is that we don't necessarily need the support that that you would need through this and so i never felt like i needed a a group therapy or anything like that not to discount you know what what the women need and what they go through it's just you know i think we just kind of have different needs through it all yeah i think that is such great advice Well, thank you so much, uh, Jared, for being here for both of you, Jared and Jessica, for uh, being so open and honest and being willing to share your story. And if um, you know somebody who might be struggling with this, please share our podcast with them and please feel free to reach out to us. Our email is bridgingthegapwithlove22 at gmail.com. Thanks so much.